notice something of a theme uh, for today's service. Last week we talked about wisdom in our work. We've been, if you are new with us this morning, we've been going through a series in the book of Proverbs, God's wisdom, how life works best. And last week we talked about wisdom in our work. This week we'll talk about wisdom and the fruit of our work, which is wealth or money, possessions or material good. And it's important to remember that uh, Proverbs talks in generalities, the way things normally work, right? So, for instance, last week when we were talking about diligence and work and how God brings good out of our work, we can acknowledge that there are exceptions to that, right? There are are lazy people who are incredibly wealthy, uh, and there are diligent, hardworking people who, who work their whole lives and then are laid off and... Right? They don't receive all the fruit that they could have received. So we acknowledge that in a fallen world those things happen. But Proverbs deals in how things are meant to work or how things often work best. Uh, and so as we uh, look at this topic of wisdom and our wealth, we're going to be looking at Proverbs, 9, excuse me, Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. And then also, uh, if, you want to, so if you want to put your finger there on page 529, And then we're also going to look at Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Those will be the two passages we spend the most time on. If you're using uh, the the Bible that's there in the chair, uh, you'll find these two passages. Uh, The first one's on page 529, the second on page 551. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. And then Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, says this. This is the only prayer, by the way, in the book of Proverbs. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is God's word. Like him, it is good and it's infallible and trustworthy. And he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father, again, as we go to an area that uh, maybe hits a little close to home for probably all of us our stuff, our wealth, we just ask that you would give us your grace, uh, that you would take your word and that you would apply it to our hearts, Lord, and then ultimately we would see our Savior Jesus and believe and be changed. And we pray it in his name. Amen. How much would you pay for a jar of hair? You heard me right. How much would you pay for a jar of hair? What if what if it were some of you without hair? Like I don't know, I might pay for a lot. Can I do something with it? Um, can I glue it on? Um, what if it were a famous person's hair? Right? People are like shaking their heads, like no, why? That's crazy. Uh, so I don't I don't profess to understand the the world of high end collectibles uh, and auctions, uh, but just a couple of weekends ago, a jar of authentic. Well documented by the barber who cut it, a jar of Elvis Presley's hair 
cut by his personal barber, authenticated with God. You got a document here. He documented it. Okay, put it in a jar. Sold for seventy-two thousand five hundred dollars. That's right. And that's lower than the price that it was auctioned off for some years before that. Now, if you think that's a little bit excessive, maybe you'd feel a little bit more comfortable with $18,000. That seems like a more reasonable sum. That was the selling price of a sculpture by Italian artist Salvatore Garo. And that's, a, that's an Alabama pronunciation. I hope I got that right. Um, so here's, here's the kicker. The sculpture is called an immaterial sculpture, which means it's literally nothing. Garot says, it's a work that asks you to activate the power of the imagination. Uh, and it's supposed to be displayed in a five-by-five five space with no obstructions. That's right. Somebody paid $18,000 for a 25-square-foot space of nothing. Um, that sounds kind of foolish to me. Uh, and those, of course, are extreme examples. And, uh, but they illustrate the fact that we need wisdom, right? We need wisdom uh, when it comes to our money, uh, what we think about our money, how we use our money. What's our relationship to our wealth? And here's what wisdom says. Wisdom says that the wise person uses money to glorify God and do good to others. And the, one of the operative words there is uses money. Money is a tool. Wealth is a tool. It is meant to be used. Uh, that tells you right off the bat that it is not an ultimate good, uh, but rather it is a resource. It is a tool that is meant to be used. And so the wise person uses money to glorify God and do good to others. Now, that doesn't sound all that complicated. It's at least simply said, so let's allow God's wisdom to draw us out a little bit here. First, honor the Lord. Uh, the wise person uses money to honor the Lord. That's what Proverbs 3, 9 says. You go back and look at that. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That word honor there is, uh, the, the root word is, is heavy. Something that is heavy or significant. Um, it's also the word used in other places. The noun is the word for glory. So God's glory is his weightiness, his heaviness. What's the, what's the connection between glory and heavy? Well, don't we give weight to those things which matter the most to us? Uh, if, I'm, if I'm making a hard decision... In life, and I get the opinion of a random stranger at Waffle House and the opinion of a trusted, wise counselor, which one of those am I going to give more weight to? Well, the one that's significant, right? I'm probably going to not give any weight to this. And so the, the word here captures this idea that we, we give weight to what is most important. God's glory is weighty. God's honor is weighty. We give weight to what matters most. And Proverbs 3 says we do that with our resources. And bear in mind that, uh, and I think this is still true today, but certainly in an agricultural context, right, that your, the produce of your field 
uh, was not just an investment in your material wealth, that was your income uh, and your, li- your livelihood, but it was also an investment of your time. And so we do this, right? We honor the Lord with our time and our money, right? The, the two resources that God gives us. And so just give your bank statement a look. Uh, give, your, give your calendar a look, your planner. What is it that carries the most weight? And your bank statement will be like, well, who's Bill? <laughs> Did he, sorry. Um, right, what is, it, what, is it that is, uh, what is it that is most significant to you? And if you want to know what that is, look at your bank statement. Look at your calendar. Look at where you spend your money and look at where you spend your time. Right, because we all have a limited amount of both. What are we doing with them? Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So uh, in an agricultural society, the first fruits, that word meant your first and your best. Right, that was, that was the idea that um, in the Old Testament, there was this idea of a tithe, that everyone paid a tenth of their produce towards the temple to support the temple and to support the poor right that was that was a part of their worship of god they gave of their first and their best so this would be the opposite of leftovers and so that that's where this really uncomfortable question comes in which one do we give do we give what's first and best or do we give what's left over and that's true in time or money Right, when I look at my day, who do, who do I give the first moments of my day to? Now, I realize some of you get up very, very early in the morning and you have to go straight to work. So, I, like, I get that this, this particular application may look different for many of you depending on your work schedule. But who gets the first minutes? Is it the Facebook feed? Any messages that came in in the middle of the night that you just have to check? Right? Uh, is it even just a simple prayer that you thank God that you woke up that morning, right? What gets, what gets our first and our best? Now, look, at, look just a few verses up. Uh, we looked at this passage earlier uh, in the series. Notice that when it talks about honoring the Lord with our wealth, this is actually in connection with some other things. Uh, look at verse 5 of chapter 3. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So it's interesting that honoring the Lord with our wealth goes in connection with fearing him and trusting him. Does that make sense? We're called to trust the Lord and not ourselves. We're called to fear the Lord, right? To have this sense of reverential awe, love. And then we're called to honor him with our wealth. And all those things go together, right? Because if I'm trusting the Lord, that means I can give him my first and best, knowing that I will have plenty left over. Uh, if, I, if I'm fearing the Lord, that means I'm in right relationship with him. And so I can gladly give him the first fruits of my produce and he makes a pretty astonishing promise 
He says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, some of you, you know, you may be have been giving your whole life. And you don't feel like your barns uh, are full uh, and your vats are overflowing. In fact, you're, you're kind of wondering, uh, Lord, are you are you telling the truth here? In Malachi three, God calls the people. He says, you guys are stealing from me. And they say, whoa, 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 have we stolen from you? And he says, you haven't brought in the whole tithe. And then he and then he said, this is the one, this is one of the few places where God says, you can test me in this. Test me. Bring the whole tithe in and see if I won't rain down blessings upon you. Right? See if I won't open up the skies in rain so that your fields produce. All right, so that's an Old Testament thing. I mean, is there how do, how do we see this promise work out in the New Testament? Can we can we still test God here? Is this is this really true? Does God mean this? Jesus says something interesting in Mark chapter 10, if you want to flip there. Mark 10, 29 through 30. He says this in the context of um, the disciples. Uh, he said how difficult it will be for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and Peter uh, says in verse 28, uh, Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. And here's what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. What does is, what is Jesus mean? Uh, well, He's saying that if you, if you give up everything to follow me, if you give up your family, which in that time would have meant your family business, your, your retirement, uh, if you give up all of these things to follow me, don't worry. You'll receive back a hundredfold in this life and eternal life in the age to come. What's he talking about? Well, I think the way that Jesus keeps this promise and maybe what gives us an indication that that's what he's promising in Proverbs 3 as well. He's talking about the church. You might, you might have to, and, and we see this in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian, right? That when they profess faith, they get kicked out of their homes, right? They lose, uh, they lose their marriages. Uh, their children might disown them if they're older, uh, their parents might disown them if they're children, right? They, they lose great, greatly. And what does God provide? He provides a Christian family. He provides his church. Fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers. This is what the church is made to do, right? That when we honor the Lord with our lives and with our first fruits, that he will take care of us. He will not leave us begging for bread. He will take care of us. And so 
the wise person uses, uh, uses his wealth to glorify God. Look at, uh, look at Proverbs 30. Like I mentioned the only prayer in all of Proverbs. The pro- the, this is a, a wise man named Agur who wrote these words. And he prays that God would give him... I wonder if you would ever pray this. I'm, I, thought about, I thought about this this morning. I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready to pray this just yet. But he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Feed me only with the food needful for me. That sounds familiar to another prayer. That's right. Sounds familiar to another prayer, right? Jesus teaches us to pray what? Give us today our daily bread. Right? Give us just enough. Don't give me too much and don't give me too little. That's the perspective of the wise person. Now, some of us are good at taking a little and turning it into a lot. I am not one of those people. But some of us are good at that. And those people have a greater responsibility to to pray this same thing. Don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. The food that is needful, that word needful, it, it means my allotment or my quota. Just give me what I need. Just give me my quota, Lord. Why? What's the motive? Well, if I, if I get too much, I don't trust myself. I'm going to be satisfied, and I'm going to forget you. I'm going to say, who needs the Lord? Look at what I've provided. Look at, look at what I've done for myself, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the danger on that side. But then he also says, look, poverty comes with its own dangers too. If you give me too little, then I may break your law and defame your name and steal giving the impression that God's, God's commandments are impossible. I've got to steal to provide for my family because God's commandments are impossible. So notice that the motive is the same in both cases. It's God's glory, right? Too much, and I, and I won't glorify you. I'll glorify myself. Too little, and I won't glorify you. I'll break your law and defame your name. How interesting. And so this, this gives us this principle of moderation and wealth and it raises a good question how is God honored in my giving do I honor him simply by putting a check in the plate or donating to the church what does honoring God look like here well it looks like personal and corporate stewardship Personal stewardship, it means, okay, whether I can make a lot or I can make a little, it's not my money. It's God's money. How do I steward it thus? Uh, here in a little bit, after the, after the sermon, we're going to receive a financial report, and I'm going to talk about our stewardship as a church, how we use the money that people give. Right? We honor the Lord when we steward his gifts well, because they're not ours, they're his. R.G. Letourneau, I think I'm saying that correctly, uh, is the father of modern earth-moving equipment. Uh, his, his invention, so he, was a, he, he had a seventh-grade education. He was a self-taught engineer. Uh, and his designs 
uh, actually ended up winning, were part of the reason we won World War II uh, and built the uh, modern interstate system, right? Uh, so you can go look him up. He was known, right, at, at, at some point in his life, he pledged to make God his business partner. And he was known as, uh, as a great philanthropist, uh, even the title God's businessman. And Mr. Letourneau, uh, instead of giving 10% and living on the rest, lived on 10% and gave 90 And here's what he said. He said, it's not a question of how much of my money I get to keep. It's a question of how much of God's money do I get to give away. That's the stewardship question. It's not a question of how much money, how much of my money I get to keep. It's a question of how much of God's money do I get to give away. That was his mentality when it came to his wealth. Look back at Proverbs 3 again. Matthew Henry, who's a, a, a well-known Bible scholar, he points out that the way that God blesses us is not just in things for ourselves. He said, when he fills up our barns with food, well, food is useful for you and someone else. When our vats are filled to overflowing with wine, it's to gladden someone else. Right? So, so God doesn't just give us rich reward for our own benefit. He gives it for the benefit of others. And so that leads to our second point, right? That, that the wise person uses his wealth first to honor God, glorify God, but then to do good to others. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 says this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. So that where it says one gives freely, it's, it's, it's literally there's, a, there's one who scatters. Right, So think again of the farmer just throwing seed everywhere. And it says there's one who scatters and he grows all the richer. And there's another person who withholds what is right to give and he only ends up suffering want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters, literally one who drenches, will himself be drenched. So there's that principle we talked about other, uh, uh, earlier, right? That it's not, just a, it's not just a tit for tat. It's not just reciprocity. It's giving generously and receiving more generously back. On Frank, who many of you know, said this. No one, this, this hangs up in our dining room uh, as a reminder to my Ebenezer Scrooge-like heart. No one ever became poor by giving. That's the promise of Proverbs, the promise of Scripture. That's what the wise person does. No one ever became poor by giving. So do we gladly give, not just to honor the Lord, but also to benefit others? Now, it would be easy 
to check a box here. It would be easy to say, yeah, I'm good, right? I've, I've, I've written the tithe check. I've, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty generous person. What sits at the heart of all this, of course, is that, that wealth is a good gift from God. That's, that's, that's one thing the Proverbs is pretty clear about. Wealth is a good gift that those who honor the Lord um, will receive his blessings, and wealth is a blessing. But here's what we do. We make it, we take it from a good to an ultimate. We take it from a good to a God. And wealth is a pretty lousy God. Because it, it over-promises and under-delivers. No matter how much of it we accrue. Do you ever have enough? I mean, when, when you think about that prayer, feed me with what is needful for me. What starts filling in that category of needful? Right? If you're going to look at the monthly budget, it's like, well, I need that. And I need that. Yep, there's nothing left. I need everything I spend my money on. Right? Uh, Craig Blomberg is a scholar at Denver Seminary, and he gives some talks on wealth and poverty. And he says when he goes and does these talks, um, he usually will do kind of an informal survey ahead of time where he asks people, if you were going to receive 20% less income this year, which part of your budget would you cut out? So go ahead and, and ask yourself that question. If you were going to receive 20% less income next year, what would you remove? Give you think about to, a second to think about that. He says the majority of people who turn those cards back in, what do you think they said? They said eating out. I wouldn't eat out as much. And so then Blomberg challenged him. He says, all right, what if you went ahead and didn't eat out as much right now and you, and you dedicated that 20% to the Lord the next year? Right? So... When we evaluate our need, is it need or is it greed, right? Do we, what, what are the things that are actually needful for us? We take a good thing and we turn it into an ultimate thing. And here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 11.20, excuse me, 11.4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Wealth is good. But it's only going to get you so far. It will not profit you in the day of wrath, or in other words, the day of judgment. Bible teacher Paige Brown tells a story about taking her kids to the fair. And one of her, uh, one of her daughters is a, is a hoarder. Um, she's, and you may, have, you may have a child like this, all right? So they're at the fair. You know, you've got your tickets, and you've got to spend your tickets to get on rides. Well, her daughter is not spending any of her tickets. Right, she's holding on to her tickets. You know, she's not getting on any rides, so she wants to hold on to all of her tickets. And as you know, it's, it's getting time for the fair to close. They're getting close to the end. And finally, Paige has to look at her daughter and say, hey, you know, those tickets aren't going to do you any good after the fair's over. Same true with our wealth, guys. Those tickets aren't going to mean anything when the fair's over. So are we going to spend them or are we going to keep them? Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Whose righteousness? I don't know. When it comes to this area, can, you, can, your, can your own righteousness deliver you from death? Are you righteous when it comes to the area of your wealth? I know I'm not. I've already talked about being Ebenezer Scrooge and holding on to my tickets. 
No, we need the righteousness of another. As we said earlier, God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver. Jesus gladly gives of his own wealth. He gladly sows bountifully, right? He sows his own life. And what is the produce? Riches for eternity. A harvest of sons and daughters who will gather around his throne and give him glory forever and ever. That's the promise. That's the promise for everyone who is in Christ. Will we use our wealth to accomplish that same end? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And again, we pray that you would apply it to our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite uh, 